Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 BA fam. It is Mandy Woodruff Santos. I am here with a very special guest this week. Marina Franklin is a veteran comedian. She's an actor. I mean, you say multi hyphen it, but there's not enough hyphens, I think, in existence for what this amazing woman has done and pioneer in her space. Actor, writer, she's a host. She has been a standout premier comedian for for years now. Um, I'm not going to reveal her age, but when you see her, I mean, I swear you could not guess. And she says it in her stand up. She ages <laughs> very well. Um, but to be so experienced at her craft, she's got some amazing work coming out now that's actually available for y'all to check out. I encourage you to check out her comedy special, Single Black Female. It's hilarious on Amazon Prime. She's also a part of this really amazing documentary series on FX called Hysterical, which is taking a real look behind the curtain um, at the comedy, you know, the comedy club scene and what it's like to be women in that scene. And especially for folks like Marina, coming up and trying to break out in the very crowded space and a male dominated space. And it's a it's a wonderful project that she's a part of, which we'll talk a bit about on today's show. But let me stop with my my rambling uh, and introduce y'all and say hello to Marina. Thank you so much. It was a good ramble. Was it all right? Okay. Yeah. The, the <laughs> intro was was spectacular. I'm always cringing because I forget. I need to change the bio on my website. So, so I appreciated what you did there. Does that it mean that really you're not good. a viciously likable person, Marina? I mean, that was years ago. <laughs> As someone who gets asked for bios all the time and I'm just like, Ugh, someone else write this. Viciously likable. And someone then... else wrote that. Yeah. I was oh, like, okay. I am? I mean, I think in that year. In that year. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know what I, that means. Like That gonna means like, you know, you cut yeah, throat, on, but you're on, gonna smile afterward. On stage, you know, the 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 thing is is they always wonder, are you a likable comic? Are you know, on stage, mm -hmm. like some comics have an edge where you do, wouldn't want to approach them afterwards and some comics are likable. So that's me. Oh, okay. You're the kind of comic that you want to hang out with. I don't know. I kind of feel like don't I mean to be a comic, don't you need to have I mean, you need to have this like by like this, this razor sharp wit and ability to give people shit and give them a hard time and call them out. But then, yeah, be likable enough for folks to want to come back for more abuse. Well, no, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know. Most of the comics I know you wouldn't want to hang out afterwards. Oh, no. Okay. No, no. They're, they're smart. They're quick. I mean, the most of the ones that I know Not I'm yeah. not speaking for there's a lot of comics these days. So I'm not speaking for all of them. Yeah. Um, 
But the comics I know, they're pretty, you know, they have very strong personality. So hanging out with them after the show, you, I wouldn't do that. Okay. It does feel like, I mean, what's it like from your perspective? Because you have been in this business for how many years now? 22 years now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So over the, I mean, that's a generation, right? So over the past 20 years, I mean, how have you felt the the scene has changed for Black female comics? Do you think that it is better than ever? There's still so much, we have so much room to grow and so so much further to go. What, what's it like from your perspective? Well, it's definitely on the right path. You know, you have a lot of black female comics working now at the same club, like the Comedy Cellar, uh, where yeah. I work, you know, mostly that's where that's like my home club. You'll have three black female comics on one show and it's not even a thing anymore. And that's and they new. don't mix y'all's names up and they don't mix our names up. No, All right. They, they better not. <laughs> that's the real test. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but what's interesting is it's it's such a good path to be on because now we're getting the opportunity to see, oh, maybe I should change my joke. Maybe we're talking about the same things. You know, when I was the only black female comic in the room going on stage, I was the only one representing black women. Now there's three or four, five black women there and I've got to go, oh, well, she's talking about that too. Um, now I get to work on my craft the way white men have been working on their craft for years, you know, because they're always going up against someone who may be talking about the same thing. And that's that's part of the craft of stand up is having original material that's unique to you. So it, it it's on its way. It's in a good direction. But I would say that, you know, continue to do the work. You know, we we can't all be Tiffany Haddish. You know, um, that's the name that is commonly this is what, you know, they tend to do is they'll they'll find one you know, token, I would say she's, you know, black woman and go, that's the, that's who we want. You go into an audition, they go, can you be more like her? Can you be more like Tiffany? And we're not, you know, we're, we're not a monolithic, right? Isn't that the word? I always get that word wrong. Monolith? And we're, yeah, Same we're not. Yeah. We're, yeah, I think that's how it goes. But, um, you know, we're all, we all have very unique, different ways of approaching comedy, styles, acting, everything. We all look different. There's just Sheer Zamata. There's Nicole Byer. There's Yamanika Saunders. There's Marina Franklin. You know, there's Wanda Sykes. You have all these options now to choose from. So that shouldn't be the excuse. And yet it does still happen. So you, you know, you go into these rooms, you have these conversations and you see that even though I'm having the conversation with women and I see the change, I still see some people are stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's it's so ironic to me because I can't, I, I don't know funnier people than the black women in my life. Like yeah. I hands down. And that just may be, um, you know, indicative of just the collective trauma that you endure as like a black woman in this country. But we are the funniest people. I mean, I swear to God, I don't laugh harder than I do when I go to the black female um, Facebook groups for Peloton. Uh, black, what is it? Black girl magic Peloton edition. And the I'm in a planting group, black women who love gardens. Oh, my God. Oh, when I, tell I have you, to check that out. Because I do just you love to garden. I killed the plant. I'm okay. trying to bring back my baby tears. There's a lot of there's a it's a safe space for any plant killers. Plant homicide is a common <laughs> <laughs> topic. But when oh, I God. tell you the comments and I live for them. Um, so I am I'm so excited because I, I agree with you. 
why don't I know more, you know, why can't I at the top of my head come up with like black female comics off the top of my head? Um, but you are ha- sort of having this this big moment, you know, well into your career now. You are um, you're touring with Jim Gaffigan, right? Well, I I'm not touring with him, but I, okay. I do shows for him when he's um, in the city or when he asks you know, so like I did shows for him, you know, when the pandemic just started, we were doing like shows for cars, basically, you know, we were, <laughs> he had all these dates like and, the drive in, right? Yeah. So um, and it was just a way to still honor those tickets and give people a chance to get out the house, you know, and yeah. he asked me if I was if I would want to every now and then Jim would ask me to do a show. I'm not his regular tour person. And then, um, bef- you know. I was booked actually to do Radio City Music Hall with him and the pandemic happened. And so recently, you know, as things are in New York coming back to some sort of normalcy, he asked me to do Radio City Music Hall. And I said, yes, of course you did. (laughs) Did you? I was like, um, I said, um, yeah, yeah. What Um, was so I think you're from Chicago, right? Yep, I'm originally from Chicago. I know you all over Chicago. Yeah, I moved around a lot, which is part of my routine or was. I don't talk about that as much. You know, when I when you first start, you kind of doing your like, you know, this is my ancestry. This is what happened. This is who I am. So I grew up in Highland Park, Illinois, which is predominantly white. It's a Jewish neighborhood, too, which, by the way, I'm 12 percent. My 23 and me. That's what they told me. And (laughs) actually, it went up this summer. I don't know why. Anyway, so I grew up in Highland Park and then moved to the south side of Chicago, which was a, is a black neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. Then moved to the suburbs of Chicago, which was a multi like um, diverse neighborhood. It was like the utopia of diverse interracial, you know, black and white people, schools, everything. So I had all of those experiences. So I'm like a chameleon. You know, I had to adjust. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've talked about in previous interviews sort of feeling like, well, it was too late for me or in your stand up, like it was too late for me by the time I moved to a black neighborhood, like or a black school area. I, I was white <laughs> as far as yeah. they were concerned. I didn't have any um, skills. I didn't know how to I didn't know double Dutch. And I talk about that in my routine because that was a very traumatic moment because it was about playing, you know, kids play yeah. and the way the girls were playing on the south side of Chicago double dutch and I really wanted to play but I know I didn't know what it was and they didn't understand why I didn't know what it was and so on my block I trained on my own oh really like rocky like black girl rocky oh it was black girl (laughs) but double dutch wait a second that's got to be like a cartoon or something. That's yeah. Amazing. I mean, and I remember them like, you got to jump. You got you to jump wild at first. You got to make sure your legs are wide open. It sounds crazy, but that's exactly how you jumped in order to learn. And yeah, then yeah. eventually your legs will close in and you'll be fine. Yeah. I, I did some double judge back in back in the mean streets of uh, Union City, Georgia. <laughs> oh, yeah. And turning, right? Turning was important. Like, yeah. And you had to I, sing during it because there were songs. So you were like, you had one, to remember lyrics. One, two, three, four, five. Turn around. Pop up. <laughs> twist it off. I don't know. We got <laughs> to show you double Dutch aerobics anyway. That's, that's a conversation for another time. There's Ooh. actually aerobics now around double Dutch. Nice. But talk to me about, since Brian Ambition, first of all, our show, we talk about 
everything under the sun when it comes to wealth building and career and as black women, especially just normalizing those types of conversations. So I want to hear, you know, just before we kind of get into um, a bit more personal story and what I'm excited to talk to you about um, your your journey and your recovery from breast cancer, I, I would love to talk to you and just hear, you know, what's it like making it as a comic financially, you know, and and how has the pandemic impacted your business and and how has that been for you and how have you been able to um get through it i mean it's not easy i mean but i i'm an older comic so 22 years i have a sort of like the longer you do something the more people you know the more opportunities you have the more people take care of you you know the more you commit to a career so I, i was i did okay you know i was fine i wasn't working um, I collected unemployment. I'm not like, you know, one of the ones who had so much money that I couldn't collect unemployment. I collected unemployment, you know. Um, I I learned to pivot. That was the word, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I did my podcast, Friends Like Us. Yay. That's right. And I uh, sold T-shirts and face masks and coffee mugs. And I did my own virtual Zoom shows instead of like doing other shows People would ask you to do their virtual Zoom show. And I said, why? I know how to get on the internet. Why am I always giving my product away? So I did my own Zoom show and I had people come on and open for me. And I would make, you know, like $500 just in my kitchen. So you were out there side hustling with the best of us. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was side hustling and then I had some money saved. So I was, I was fortunate to have done that. Um, but a lot of times I thought about what if I was just starting, like, I remember when I first started as a comic, you know, how I was really like struggling, waiting tables or, you know, I was working at a consulting firm, just answering the phones. Uh, what would have happened if I had nowhere to go to? And mm. it would have been very tough. I, I, I really don't know. You know, I think about the younger comics and how difficult this must have been for them. Yeah. You know? So I I try to keep that in mind whenever I'm like kind of relaxed and oh I did this so well. I, I go, you know, but it could have been different. So just I keep it in mind. Absolutely. It's like a it's it's time to count your blessings, but also it's it's a bit of survivor's guilt. Um I think a lot of folks are like a teeny tiny bit. Um well healthcare is also a big one. And that is, you know, especially if you're an artist and you're, or you're a creative person and you're in the city. And I recently became independent um, and launched my own business as well. And I, I couldn't have done that as easily as I did. And I'm, I'm pretty transparent about that if I didn't have my husband's, you know, healthcare. And I think well, what I wanted to ask you about is how do, do you have healthcare as a comic? Like, how does that work? And is it expensive? Um, because in the middle of a pandemic, you know, at a, at a time when our health is really in jeopardy, it's insane to me that we have so many Americans still, you know, without that access. Yeah, I mean, I have I have health insurance. I had to when I was getting breast cancer, you know, dealing with that. I was forced to really pay attention to what health insurance I have. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. 
they understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. When did you find out, when were you diagnosed with breast cancer? And at that time, what was your status with your health care? Well, so that was two years ago. And I was paying for um, health insurance through SAG. And it was very expensive. And then when you have breast cancer... And you have these bills coming in and you find out, oh, they're not going to pay for everything. And, and learning how to navigate that, that was all new to me. You know, I never had breast cancer before. I never had like emergency situation where I had to figure out how to pay for stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was hard because you're, you're, you're new in your diagnosis. You're afraid you, you know, you're not sure if you're going to live. And then you're on the phone with people begging them to pay for your bills. And a part of that is humiliating because then you go, well, why you start going into like, why didn't I do this for my career? Why am I, why am I in this position? Why am I not married and using my husband's insurance? You know, yeah. all those things. And um, when you have an emergency like breast cancer, you do need to, you know, do what you need to do to take care of those bills. Um, and I had other friends who told me, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to set yourself up. This is, you know, look into all the programs. And, and so that was very helpful. Your friends really are your best advocate. I had a, a young lady write me this morning about my set. And she was like, I really appreciated it because I was just diagnosed and I'm 38. And I said to her, let your friends be your best advocate. Surround, keep them around, keep them keep them keep them around and you know whoever that is you know it could be a stranger that all of a sudden becomes your friend because they are better at being an advocate for you yeah well take me back to that so having only a, a couple hot of flash years. as i'm talking about this no <laughs> i mean <laughs> it well it's fresh right i mean so what's your so a couple of years ago you were diagnosed how did you find out that you had breast cancer and then what stage was it you want the real story or the, well, see the, the joke 
And it is true. I say this on stage. <laughs> um, I was, it's when I was having sex. I don't have it anymore. But when I was, <laughs> I don't. I had, you know, you, it, it's funny. Hey, I'm married it's, and it's not that great on the other side. So keep going. Let's <laughs> just Well, right. But they usually, <laughs> it, the truth of the matter is, you, women usually do find it during sex. Huh. You know, a lot of women or their partner will find it, they, you know, they'll feel something. That was in my case. My partner was asleep. Um, so I had time to fill around and found it on my own. Oh, man. So you were you. I mean, you weren't in where you weren't intending. It wasn't like I'm going to do a breast exam for my own health and benefit. But you were you found it yourself uh, by it feeling was a bad lay, basically. And I had time. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it was. I was like, oh, well, okay. just, I know how to take care of me. So and then I was like, yeah. oh, what's that? So that's how I found it, seriously. Okay. And then I was like, I and then know. I woke him up. I said, hey, you, feel this. And uh, he was like, yeah, I do feel that. And then I, I I would take showers and I would do the thing. Like, I felt like I was kind of ridiculous, but I would, I was like, I do feel something. Mm. And so I went in um, and I had it checked. And the first time I went in, they said, mm, we don't really think you have anything. That was the first time. Was this a gynecologist? That was the... Uh, the the guy not the gynecologist but they send you to the person who does the mammograms you oh, know okay. they could send you to different locations in yeah. new york sometimes it's not all in once that's that's another mm -hmm. whole thing but God, yes. sometimes you have to travel to like 86th street go to the place where they do that and um that first time they said well we see something but it's not big enough and that was the year before i was oh, actually whoa. diagnosed and then that year, literally a year afterwards, I went, told my doctor again, I said, I do still feel something. And I noticed when she was doing, feeling around, doing the ultrasound, which is important to mention because a lot of women have dense breast tissue. You can't find everything with the mammograms. Sometimes mm. you d you'll find it with the ultrasound. So it's important to mention that. If you have dense breast tissue, you have to always ask for an ultrasound. And you have to ask because a lot of times they don't offer it. Hmm, okay. And they I did not. Did not yeah. They did not find mine with a mammogram. They found, you know, calcium shows them a sign of something. The ultrasound gives them a little bit more information. And then that same doctor who a year ago said, oh, it's probably nothing. This time said, you know what? It's gotten a little bigger. So we'll just do a biopsy just to make sure. And I didn't understand what a biopsy meant. So I was going to the comedy store and I was like, I got to get a biopsy tomorrow. And they were like, Marina. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Completely clueless. And um, then I realized everyone was like, Marina, that's serious. And then I went back in for the, biops the biopsy. I had like two. And um, that's when, yeah, that's when he was like, my doctor, my gynecologist actually called me, which apparently they're not supposed to do. Um, but she wanted to get in touch with me right away. And it was a Friday night. Mm -hmm. And she said, we're shocked. But yes, you do. You have breast cancer. And um, and then that moment, I was I was really I was in a state of shock, mm -hmm. pretty much. Did she leave it at that? I mean, I feel like. No, she told me she was like, There's I'm going to have my husband questions. do this. He's going to be the surgeon. You're going to go in on Monday. We're going to take care of this. They wanted uh, to do a lump. So it's called a lumpectomy. Did you have the lump removed right away? 
You don't really know exactly right away. That's the thing that's sort of like a lot of women don't understand is they have to make that decision. It takes time for them to make that decision. And then you also have to make that decision for yourself. Mm. So it and it's all based on what your diagnosis is in the stage of your cancer. So they can't really tell you that until they know the stage. Um, they kind of have an idea, and that's what was confusing to me because I was like, I thought you said I was stage one. What happened? What's going on? You're still doing more? And Because what happens is they'll tell you the initial stage, and then they still do more tests. Mm. And after, and I had several biopsies after that. So I didn't just have the, the two in the beginning. I had several. I had like, you know, like I had to go in like two more times or three more times. Um, and then also they had to do the left breast as well just to make sure. And then sometimes they see something and they're not sure. Hmm. So yeah, it's a lot. And then, then they take it and they go, well, we're seeing stage one, but we have to really still figure it out now they do a genetics test too okay. if you have any did you have a history in your family yeah my aunt had breast cancer um okay. but she was always like oh you know people don't really talk about it in your family it's really interesting in your family they didn't talk about it yeah my my neighbor and lynn I'll, I'll give her a shout out she was the inspiration for me to even do a show like this because i had her over and she's kind of like my auntie here in the neighborhood and she she had a double mastectomy and and told me that about her breast cancer story and she said that she found out when she was at her her grandmother's doctor's visit her grandmother couldn't drive herself so she lynn was just there in the background like i'm taking you to your doctor and just casually her grandmother mentioned that she had had breast cancer and so did her mother and everything and lynn said it just wasn't talked about you they would make up other ways people died like they would tell you that they oh they were just sick or they had a you know a heart condition or something but there was some kind of stigma to that breast cancer and that was how lynn found out that she had this his this family history of breast cancer and started to get screened and then you know they found it and it was super aggressive even though she had detected it mm. early. So I don't know why 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 do you why in your family I know you can only kind of speak about your experience but why don't you think it was something that was talked about? I think it's just it's it is like specific to black culture black families. Um, the mistrust in medicine, it, it mm -hmm. plays into all of that, you know, um, and the way we talk about health in black circles, you know, um, that's, that's my assumption is that's yeah. where it's coming from. But I also, cause I, I do remember my grandmother and the way she would talk about the mistrust of doctors, you know, my grandmother never had breast cancer, but I remember the way she would talk about things. It was like, you know, everything except for what the doctor said, you know, um, and I would think on my this is my aunt on my mother's side. I think that, you know, that side of my family is just not that close. And so you you grow apart. You kind of hear about someone in your family like having something, but no one's really invested because we're all living our daily lives. Yeah. But it's important, I think. You become you you start to realize when you have your own emergency how important it is to stay connected with your family, and then you go oh well this is a learning lesson about family you know don't don't do that you know if anything the pandemic probably taught us that too is like stay yeah. in touch with your family because you just never know you know what's going on with them 
And I, I, I would say like my family on my mother's side definitely is very, it's not as connected. It's not as close the conversations were had, you know, I, even with my father, my father would put these drops in his eyes. I was like, I just knew him as putting those drops in his eyes. I guess he just needed drops in his eyes. And plus I was young. You know, when you're young, you go, you know, the old people, they do things. You don't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, ah, look at the old man doing stuff, you know. But after a while, when it starts to affect your life, you realize, oh, those drops meant someday I may have glaucoma. Conversation mm-hmm. should have been had, you know. But yeah. you learn and and then you try to tell people that are younger than you how it's important. Hopefully they listen. Hopefully they retain yeah. it. I mean, and just as you were speaking, I'm sitting here like, of course, I mean, you you think about that. They used to call this guy the father of gynecology and and he pioneered so much research and advances in female gynecology uh, by practicing on black women, like practicing on our bodies and using us like, you know, using us like mice in an experiment. And you think of that being just like so horrific, um, but it's having real. So bringing it back to modern day, I mean, this is. The fact that we're not maybe talking about it um, or or hearing about it so often, you know, you found yours, luckily, <laughs> you know, because you're, you know, doing your thing. Bad lay. Listen, listen. So Bad think, lay. So did that. So you, do, you, do you keep in touch with that guy <laughs> uh, to let him know? Thank you so much for that night. <laughs> you Thank you for saved the my bad life. lay. Yeah. Um, so after the testing, after the testing. When was it that the you're dealing with so much? I mean, you were you were probably emotional and stressed and all of that. When did the bills start coming? Was that immediately? Was it later on? Did you feel like Oh, they you... start talking to you about the bills right away? Oh, really? Oh god. Oh, okay. this this there's no like, look, I just got cyst. I said, look. <laughs> they start they ask you for your insurance the whole step of the way. There's no like, oh, you know, you don't come in and they're like, oh, my God, you have breast cancer. There's none of that. Mm. You know, they're, they're, it's a job for them. You know, they're dealing with a lot of women who have breast cancer. You're one of many. And I went to, you know, I went through it rough because I went to a city hospital. And I went to that city hospital, which I don't recommend. I mean, you know, if you, if, if you, can avoid going to a city hospital. If you can't, it's okay. They do a great job there too. But I, what I would say is your wait time is going to be longer. I used to sit and wait like sometimes six, seven hours just to be seen. Yeah. Because wow. it's a city hospital. They're dealing with like, you know, other emergencies that come before you sometimes there's, there's no, like, there's no one holding your hand and being like, Oh, Miss Franklin, you know, not, not overwhelmingly. No. You know, it's like, what insurance do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, that question comes at you hard. It's almost like they take you to the back. They counsel you about, you know, we need that money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they, that, it's a business. So when you walk in, you know, that was the thing I didn't realize. I was like, oh, my God, like, this is what people are talking about when they say they have a preexisting condition and they get treated like this. It's, it's horrible, you know, and then you get that one person that works there. That's an angel. And that is really taking care of you. And that's really listening to you. And that does happen as well. So you just got to find them in those spaces. Did you feel prepared to advocate, advocate for yourself? I know you said that your friends were really important, but when you were in that position and not feeling like you had someone in charge of making sure that Marina was okay. 
um, and that you sort of had to be that person. Did you feel prepared to, you know, to be outspoken, to to get the care that you needed? Did you feel like you had to do that a lot? I never had to do that before. This was the first time that I actually had to like even think about my body in this way. Um, and I've learned a lot about myself. Like I don't listen well. Um, and cause I, I had a friend and I knew right away cause I had a friend who had breast cancer and I called her immediately. She was right after the doctors, the doctor, when she gave me the diagnosis, I called my friend, Jenny, my friend. And I cried, you know, and I was like just bawling and, um, and then she was just like, Marina, it's okay. I know I'm going to get you through this because you just don't think it'll ever happen to you. And then you just don't know how to process it. And she was just listening. And then she says, I'm going to go with you. I'll be an advocate for, advocate for you. I'll be your friend. You know, I've been through this. I know how to take you through. And you're going through all that. So you don't even know what to think. You know, you have someone there that's really helping you. So, you know, my instinct to reach out, thank God that was there. Um, so that I didn't do it by myself because my family is not here. You know, my family's like all in Chicago and San Francisco. So I really had to rely on friends. And then, um, eventually I, I, you know, I say this on stage, I have 13 friends with breast cancer. So, you know, Whoa. you say, you say it's one, in, it is one in eight, by the way. Yeah. So it's a, it's an epidemic, you know, yeah. but. When you say to that to pe when you say one in eight to people, they don't really respond, you know, because they don't they see those little stick figures and they go, eh. Yeah. But you say you have 13 friends with breast cancer, and all of a sudden you go, I go, exactly. Yes, it's real, it's serious. And so I have 13 friends with breast cancer. I took uh three of them will go with, you know, I would swap out friends, you know. And they would go in and listen for me. Sometimes I wasn't listening. I, I, and then my one friend, Jenny, told me to record. Biggest. I do that. <laughs> biggest advice. Uh, you, I, do you, I do ask okay, the I'm doctors. The <laughs> no, no, it's important because I, yes. yeah, I would listen to it and I would hear myself ask the doctor a question they had already answered. So I knew I wasn't listening. And that's how I knew I was like, I got to continue to record every time I go in because that's how I get the information because I would hear and I go, oh my God, they just answered this question. And also I didn't even hear this while I was sitting there. Mm. Was it just because you were overwhelmed, do you think? Or kind of, my mind wanders a million different directions during a conversation. It's a real bad oh, habit. Yeah, No, I have ADD <laughs> too. I used to- Podcasting people helps. Yeah, podcasting taught me how to listen. Yes. Oh my God. I'm Turn so your much tabs better. off. And yes, absolutely. I'm so much better. People used to say that I they could see me fade mm. while I was listening to them. And I was like, oh no, you could see that? I thought I was playing it off. And they were like, no, no, it's obvious. You're not yeah. listening. <laughs> um, but this this taught me a lot. And um, yeah, listening to those audios back and I can still listen to them to this day if I wanted to just get more information and it saved my life. It actually taught me, like as I listened to it, it taught me about my staging of cancer. It taught me, you know, that I have to get like an oncotype test that tells me what type of treatment I'm going to get. And that's what I mean by there's a certain point in this where your staging goes up after they do the lumpectomy. Now, when you decide to get the lumpectomy or you decide to get a mastectomy, those mm -hmm. decisions are based upon your genetic, you know, history and your stage. 
well, I was stage one. But after the lumpectomy, I was stage 1A, which I was like, what's that about? You know, and then my doctor told me what that was about was that the cancer they found had traveled intramammary node, mm. which is in the actual breast tissue. There's nodes within the, you know, you have your lymph nodes, there's nodes within the breast. Rarely happens. Now, very important. I listened to that tape when she talked about that. So when I went for my, um, I for, I for, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, when they do the his, they do the information about your actual cancer. I forget. Oh, called. genetic. I forget what it's called. It's the. Uh, it's something. It's where they actually finally analyze it and tell you what type of treatment you're going to get. Okay. And there's a different person for that. Well, they had read it wrong. Oh Lord. Yes. From the beginning, or. This was after everything, after my lumpectomy, after my surgeon had told me I was stage 1A. One job. One job. And I went in, but the thing is, the intramammary no, which is what I have, is very rare to see. So what the person saw or what they thought they saw was cancer that had spread to my chest. So they had staged me wrong. They staged me at two, like B, which told said that the treatment would be chemo for a year. And okay. then radiation. It so was you wrong. I thought you were going to be heading toward chemo. You thought you were stage two. I oh I knew God. I wasn't. Uh, when I went back to which was my, um, um, then you get uh, an oncologist, right? Which is different from your surgeon. All these doctors. I thought it was just one person you go to. No. So I go to the oncologist, and the oncologist says, "Is," and I remember my uncle saying to me, "He's a doctor." He said, "Make sure you." Don't get a doctor straight out um, in June or July. I said, he goes, do you know why? And I go, no. He goes, they just graduate from school. Mm. And I go, oh. So city hospital, they give me an oncologist. She looks young. I bring my Irish friend in to advocate. She goes, oh, Marina. She goes, I'm going to tell you something. This young lady, she'll be good someday. She'll be <laughs> someday. good someday. But not today run and sure enough she had told me that i was stage two with you know confidently without really looking at that chart mm. i said can you get can you get your father in here no <laughs> i said can you get uh the head surgeon who's in charge of all of you can you bring him in and he looked at it he said yeah this is done wrong mm. this has been analyzed wrong and it's important for her treatment i mean good for you and your friend to even because I, in that situation, I mean, you feel like doctors have all the power and everything they say is, you know, Bible, but that's so not true. Um, and yes, for you to advocate for yourself in that way. So what was the treatment plan then when you were um, stage one, stage 1A? So after we figured out that they were wrong and we figured out the real treatment and we, the real number was 1A, it's just radiation. So no chemo. Um, also, okay. the Uncotype test gives you a score. So the doctor will say to you, you have an option to do chemo, but the Uncotype test, which is not available to everybody, it just depends on your exact cancer, you know, um, mine is progesterone, I can't say it, estrogen positive, you know, HER2 negative. So because of that, I get that test. Not everyone gets that test. And that'll tell you 
a score and that score tells you whether or not you do chemo or not. And I was okay. like, because oh. um, chemo is the one that really puts you on your butt. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. it does. And um, so what happened was also the the rules had changed for radiation and chemo. Women with 1A just six years before I was getting diagnosed would go through chemo. Mm. So I had met a woman actually. I had done uh, stand-up to cancer comedy show. And after the show, I met a woman who said, oh, you didn't do chemo and you were wanted? I go, and I felt horrible because she was the same stage that I was, but mm. just six years ago. It's it just, you know, medicine is always learning. Yeah. So I did radiation um, and I did radiation for the month of October. Actually, we're going into the month, the anniversary. Is Two years? During Breast Cancer Awareness year. Month, I was getting radiation. Was that last year or the year before? Two years. Two years. Two years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you... When were you kind of given? Two thousand nineteen. I should 19. say. Yeah. Are are you cancer free now? Do you have? I that? don't call it cancer free because um, you get cleared within like five years. They say. Okay. Really. Um, um. But I, you know, I never really look at it as that. I look at it as. Um. I'm good for now. <laughs> yeah. And uh and that's probably not the best way to look at it, but I'm always being healthy. I'm always, you know, since that time I'm 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 vegan. You know, I um I've changed my whole life around. I've made some some strong choices. Try to cut out sugar, you know, mm. as much as I can. I try not to have sugar. Okay. Uh things like that because also they wanted to put you on they wanted to put me on a hormonal drug called tamoxifen um, that I opted out of. So that was like what my choice. Done? So tamoxifen is, is commonly used for women with hormonal cancer, you know, with estrogen, a strong level of estrogen feeding the cancer. And that would have caused hip. It could, it could, it could be, it's different for everyone. Some women have no reaction to it. My friends all said, hell no. Mm. So three, I did my own research, right? Since I have yeah. 13 friends, I could do my own studies. So I was like, yeah. how many of my friends were okay with it? And like three of them were like, hell no. Mm. And they told me how long it took to get out of their system a year, even in trying it. Um, and then I had a, one of the nurses told me she had to get a hip replacement because of it. Wow. So it's intense. It can be intense. And then one, another friend of mine out of, you know, three of them said no. One of them said she had no problems. She had nothing. She had one night of sweats and then she was fine. I have so many questions now because my neighbor Lynn had a hip replacement not long ago. Oh, I'm wondering. And she was also a cancer survivor. Lynn's going to be like, stop talking to me about this. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. I mean, there's books about it. There's called Estrogen Matters. I haven't read that book. There's so many cancer books I have that I need to still read. I mean, it's the, well, it's the diagnosis and the treatment, but it's also, I mean, the, I know in your case, I mean, actually I didn't ask this, but you didn't have to have any reconstructive breast surgery or um, anything like that, right? Um, yeah, you know, lumpectomy is just an entry, taking it out. Then they, they do the testing and that's what, you know, when they actually take the cancer out, they look at it and that causes a difference of staging. Um, gotcha. Okay. And like, yeah. And then that's just 
they just sew everything back up. <laughs> they take the lymph cut. nodes out. Yeah, they take your lymph yeah. nodes. Out. They take a. They'll tell you how many they take out, and for about a salad a month, I couldn't lift above my. I couldn't do this even. Mm. That wall behind me, I used to do finger crawls just to get my arms. I couldn't do this. Mm. I couldn't lift a suitcase. I had to travel as a stand-up. I couldn't carry things. I had to like decide which stuff I was going to take to the gig. To and you've incorporated your your story into your stand-up. Um, what is funny about breast cancer? <laughs> and also amazing that you have turned. <laughs> well, actually, I've laughed a lot just from the story that you told. Um, no, I, I, I imagine that. But I guess I'm just asking. Was it my wasn't important Irish accent? <laughs> well, I wasn't sure if you had said Irish. I was like, maybe she didn't say that. I was waiting Sometimes for it. Sometimes it could sound Jamaican. <laughs> Jamaican and Irish. But yeah, that was my Irish friend. Well, I love that, you know, you going back to what you said earlier about being a black comic, there's more of you now out there, black female comics, and you do have, you know, you in storytelling in general, you know, I'm a writer, I always just try to if it's my story, I know it's unique. Um, but incorporating it into your stand up, what was that like for you? When were you ready to, to tell that story and to laugh about, you know, this really serious issue that was terrifying? Um, I told it right. Well, not right away, but I did have a mentor who told me who had also gone through his own struggles. Mm. He had a stroke. So he was like, you know, if you don't talk about it now, you're going to forget it. Um, so you need to do it right away while it's still fresh. And he was right because it's an Amer it's an amazing thing how even as I'm talking to you, some of the things I've, I've forgotten because I don't, mm. I don't, I'm not still dealing with it or I don't talk about those, you know, those specific moments, you know, um, and some of the pain starts to fade a little bit, you know, but I think in talking about it while it was raw it was very therapeutic for me, you know, um, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I've been a comic for a long time, so I kind of had the tools to know how to explore that material on stage without feeling like horrible. But a lot of times I would, you know, I was scared, you know, I was vulnerable up there and not sure if people were going to laugh. And sometimes they didn't sometimes because, you know, no matter what, you, the, the audience can read you. So if you're not sure, they're not sure. And I could tell they were like, oh, my God, she's really going through this right now. So you could f they they felt everything I was feeling. And yeah. now when I talk about it, it's just nothing but laughter, you know, um, because that material over time, it got better. I started to chisel away at it, you know, and I also made it, you know, more of a show and it was prepared material, but also it's not as raw. So I would say, you know, now that I do it, the one thing I, I do try to remember is that this is not the these aren't just jokes these are jokes that are possibly saving someone's life in the audience and that's why i always say you know early detection is your best protection it really is you know um a lot of women um you know i did radio city music hall and a doctor actually said to jim gaffigan's wife you know what, Marina mentioned something about when was the last time you've been in for your checkup? 
So, you know, those conversations, hopefully it sparked something in that room, in that yeah, very big I mean, Radio City Music Hall. Mm. Well, the pandemic, I'm not even going to lie. I did manage to go to the gynecologist this year, but I had a I had a human child, um, <laughs> a baby <laughs> monster, a couple of years ago. And it had been, I mean, I hadn't been seen by a doctor since I had I gave birth. I was like, that's it. I'm good. Just no one touched me ever again mm -hmm. for a very long time. And I, you know, I got my checkup. But you mentioned earlier, and it's so true. It it was one of those appointments that was very easy to cancel when the pandemic was raging, um, pre-vaccine and and all of that. Um, that worries me. How do you? What would you say to women at home who are, I don't know. I mean, and for you, it wasn't even about going to the doctor. It was just. Uh, doing a, a self-examination, but it can be the difference of one year. I had a friend who one year was had no stage of cancer to the next year being stage four. Wow. So you don't want to put wow. it off. You can, you know, it really is the difference of early detection, you know? Um, and that means, you know, it's every six months, I believe, Maybe that's just for me because I, I just came out of radiation. But um, so after radiation, you go in every six months for a mammogram just, you know, after you do the surgery. But I think you're supposed to go in for, you know, mammograms like once a year, I believe. I got to so get that I've, right. We're going to put that. Don't worry. No pressure. I know you are. You are Marina Franklin. You are not here to represent all medical professionals. Um, oh, but, but I will. Have no, but for listeners, we're going to put in the show notes, I've got it, um, the guidelines for your age. Um, I'm 34. My co-host Tiffany is in her early 40s. And I know I'm just now I'm like, Tiffany, get your mammogram. I don't know if she's done it yet. But she's like, yeah, I need to do that. Because once you turn 40, it's it's um, it's definitely encouraged. To and it's getting younger and younger. That's the thing. The woman it, who just wrote me was 38. I have yeah. young a uh, woman. It's getting younger and younger. You yeah, know, and is. so, you know, I tell women, you got to advocate for yourself at any point. You feel something, go in and don't let them tell you otherwise. You are your best advocate. Yep. And I well, mean, that's also a, for, <laughs> and your Irish friend. <laughs> it's also, I mean, on this, it's, and I was, you know, you wonder, you mentioned younger women, especially, are getting it at a higher rate. Black women, among younger black women getting breast cancer, have double, double the mortality rate of white women. Like, that is astounding to me. Um, and part of the reason is, like you said, access to quality health care. Maybe you're going to the clinic in your area, but is it, are, you know, are they so overwhelmed with other patients with seemingly more important or bigger and more emergent conditions? Um, and will you advocate for yourself or will you, you know, will you trust that, that hairy doctor who's working on you? And black women are just not as likely to have that proper health care or to have the actual insurance to pay for things like preventative care. And I, a piece of research that I was reading that really just blew my mind because we talked about the self-examination, right? I went to the gynecologist earlier this year and she felt me up and I always hate that part. I feel like she's judging my my boob shape and things like that. But um, like actual, there, whether it's a clinical physical exam or your own, you know, clinical physical, your own exam physically, you know, that they, you learn like what to feel for and how to do a, a self-examination. But it's actually not that good at detecting breast cancer. And, and the best way is to get that imaging, to get that MRI. 
Um, and now we know ultrasound based on your experience. So I don't, I just wanted to say that in case people are like, okay, I'm going to feel a little bit here and there, but it's like, go to the doctor, especially if you're over 40 and ask for that mammogram. Um, because especially in your case, like you, you've shown that it, even if you, and you felt something and they still were like, meh, meh, not yeah. that big of a deal. Yeah. You know, that's wild. That's Imagine wild. if I had said, no, I actually want a biopsy on this, which you can do. Mm. So in that year when they said, oh, let's, you know, we'll just, it's not, I could have said, I still would like a biopsy and they would say, they would have had to have done it. Yeah. That's crazy. Is that malpractice? I don't know. How could you do No, it's not. That's the thing. As you go through this, you're thinking about malpractice the whole time. If you see all the stuff I've seen, mm. I mean, the stuff that I went through was like insane, you know, um, from them reading my, my chart wrong. You know, from 1A to 2, you know, possibly a full year of chemo had I, let's let's say I didn't speak English very well. Let's say mm. I didn't understand English very well and I'm just going in there and I'm here by myself and I don't have a family member in the room. And they told me that I was, I had cancer and I was stage two, 2B or whatever. I would have gone through the chemo and I didn't have to. Poisoning. So that is why to. it's. It's super important to pay attention. You know, it's like there's no such thing as paranoia when it comes to cancer. All of it is 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 valid and legitimate. And when you go in there and you have these concerns, you know, what's what's going to help you from the fear is bring a friend in to calm you down, you know. But you need to go in there and be like, this is a life and death matter. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you said friend too, because sometimes moms are not the best option. If you have a mom, like they don't exactly de-escalate. My mom situations. got me mace. That was her gift to me. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wish we had more time to talk about That's that. a whole other story. Well, it's been, it's been a couple of years. You mentioned the medical bills. How are things now? I mean, are, are they covered? Were you able to fight for, you know, the coverage that you needed to get those bills taken care of? What's the financial yeah. impact? I mean, it, I mean, now it's fine because I, you know, I was able to get the insurance I needed for it and yeah, I'm fine. You know, um, I'm still paying for some of it. You know, some of it you pay off monthly. You can always talk to them about lowering your bill. That's another yeah. thing. You know, a lot of times you don't realize the conversations you have with the, in financial departments with all of this is just, it's just a conversation, you know, and they will knock some off of your bill. They'll do that for you. Mm, absolutely. And negotiating. Be nice. <laughs> so hard. Yes, be nice. My sister is an insurance claims adjuster and uh, she's she's the person. I'm like, you're too nice for that. She's probably not. She's probably like, yeah, you, you got it. You're free. We got you. <laughs> but well, Marina, it has been, you know, such a pleasure to have you on the show. And oh, it's an honor. Thank you for Thank you for coming and thank you for sharing and opening up. I want everyone to check out Marina's work. We're going to link to your social handles. Go check out um, the documentary on FX, Hysterical, which has Marina and a bunch of other amazing. No, it's literally called Hysterical. That's a documentary. Uh, <laughs> and oh, what else? Your special on Amazon, Single yes. Black Female, which I love. Uh, what? What else is there? Oh, there, I don't want to miss anything. What else do you want? My podcast. Did promote? I say? Did you yes, say your podcast? podcast? Friends like us. Friends like swag. us. I yes. love the tank. This is my tank shop. Friends like this is my logo. 
Friends Like Us is a podcast that features women of color talking about hot topics, and it's it's mostly comedians, um, but we do have guests on that know more. So we have to have doctors on, and hopefully this month we'll have my surgeon. I would love to have my surgeon on. My surgeon, by the way, just a, a tag that story about going to the city hospital. The reason I went to that city hospital is because she was a black surgeon and I wanted her. Mm. So I suffered. They are so rare. that I could have her. And she's amazing. She's oh, like one of phenomenal. the few in New York City. Mm-hmm. I finally did my research to find a black gynecologist. And it was, I cried in her office and I did not know that I was going, I did not know that it meant something to me until I I felt the difference. I felt it in my And get bones. the right black gynecologist. Not all black gynecologists <laughs> are the same. Because I okay. had one that I was like, I will not be going back to. I've only had the sis. one. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I was like, so thank far, you, so sis. Good. But no. <laughs> So get the right one. I, yes, absolutely. Do your and it's such a pain in the ass to shop doctors, but it is important, especially when it's your health. Well, yes, thank you so much again, Marina. Y'all, thanks for listening. Um, back to our regular Brown Ambition next week, Marina. I can't wait to to see more of what you accomplish. I'm definitely going to be following you. And thank you again for joining Brown Ambition. Thank you for having me. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.